Welcome to Ride With Us, presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the world's largest ride enthusiast organization dedicated to the appreciation, promotion, and preservation of roller coasters across the globe. Please keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times as we welcome your hosts, Jessica Gardner and John Davidson. Hey, everyone. In today's episode, we are going to be taking a deep dive into coaster construction. We enthusiasts love talking about rumored landscape projects when we know a park is clearly doing something over there beyond that fence to attending media construction tours. And today we are dropping in on three interviews about three different coasters being built on the East Coast, West Coast, and Tennessee. To kick it off, my co-host John Davidson discusses Pipeline at SeaWorld Orlando with ACE member Dan Lavelle, co-owner of Midway Mayhem and site build supervisor at Skyline Attractions. Then I have a short on-the-scene interview from a media construction day that I attended at SeaWorld San Diego. It's with Jim Potter, and he is the VP of Maintenance and Rides, and we are discussing Arctic Rescue. We had hard hats on and the whole thing in the mud, so please excuse the audio, but it's a great little interview. And then finally, Ace Secretary Jeff Nemec chats with John about the construction of Big Bear Mountain in Dollywood. As usual, if you'd like to jump ahead, you can always check the show notes. Let's dig in. And now we are going to meet up with ACE member Dan Lavelle, co-owner of Midway Mayhem and site build supervisor for Skyline Attractions. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. This is awesome to be on a podcast with you guys. Been a long time ACE member and uh, love being able to talk to all the ACE members out there and listening. Yeah, I've ran into you at multiple ACE events. How long have you been an ACE member? I mean, we're talking back in 2001 kind of days, like Deja Vu and X opening at Six Flags Next Mountain. So that was kind of where it started. Oh, because of social media. If you've never followed Midway Mayhem, you should definitely uh, look on the socials. And we'll have links in the show notes. Have a home park being in Orlando? And obviously, I live at several parks whenever they're building new rides. And look at that, I, I feel like I, I pretty much just need to get a tent and a sleeping bag. But if I was to say my home park, it would probably be SeaWorld Orlando. So when did you start getting into coasters? I mean, this is a long story short on this one, but ever since an early age, um, like three, four years old kind of stuff, I was taking printer paper and connecting pieces, you know, lengthwise with tape and drawing roller coasters on 15, 16 feet long, like pieces of paper. Um, I don't know why. I just always liked coasters, I guess. I went to theme parks a lot as a kid. And uh, again, kind of a long story short on this one. Unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was 13 and he was terrified of heights, like absolutely terrified, like tall, tall curves would scare him kind of thing. Yet he would still ride roller coasters with me. And I have photos of him with white knuckles and all that. And uh, after he passed away, you know, theme parks were a way for me to kind of escape and uh, deal with some of the pain that goes along with that. So I'm very thankful. And to be honest, I owe my life to theme parks. Wow, that's crazy. So in what, high school or college then you started to look at actually doing a career in it? If you ended up at Skyline, I mean, there's got to be a few steps. Yeah, I mean, I, this is, I'm 35 years old. So this is something that I've been doing for a long time. Back when I was like 13, 14, I was doing Travel Channel and Discovery Channel shows. Um, but as far as really getting involved and wanting to do something in the industry uh, for a theme park, I would say probably towards the end of high school, I was really starting to look into it. I was doing a lot of video editing. I was working for uh, a smaller page for roller coasters in the past. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And then when I got into college, um, they were opening up Top Sale and I wanted to go work and open that ride. So I was driving an hour to Six Flags Magic Mountain and back every single day just so I could work there and be on the opening team. So I did that for six, wow. seven months straight. And uh, it was all just because I wanted to be on the opening team. That's, that's some serious cred. I mean, lots of us will go hours and hours, but doing it every day, that's some dedication. So how long did you say you were on yeah. the opening team? So I was there for about seven months or so. Um, I was trained on multiple rides, Gold Rusher, Goliath, Superman, Ninja, Tatsu, Sky Tower, a whole bunch of rides. So when did you pivot into, you know, a manufacturer? Well, manufacturer more or less was about four years ago. Um, 
It actually started with the Starflyer, the Orlando Starflyer, um, was taking photos for Midway, happened to meet the owner and, uh, just kind of developed a relationship from there where I was doing photos for them and I, I had a desire to climb. I've always wanted to climb stuff and be high up in the air. And I was given the opportunity to do some training and I got my certification. The next thing I know, I'm 450 feet in the air. It is the tallest, right? Well, the Orlando Starflyer is no longer the tallest Starflyer in the entire world. Uh, they've opened up other ones in, say, uh, Dubai. I believe they're taller. But as far as North America, yeah, it's the tallest Starflyer. Wow, that's crazy. I just can't. I have a hard time riding that ride. I can't imagine going up and trying to work on the ride. How, how does that process work? You don't obviously sit in the little swings to get up there no so i mean there's obviously a way in a system that we get up the tower um you can climb via ladder or you can do the the option and basically ride the elevator up which is we put it in maintenance mode and you can ride it up to about 385 feet or so and then you climb into the center of the tower and continue up um, but it's it's a heck of a climb. If you don't do it without that elevator, you're going to be hurting. I, I still have a hard time imagining that. If we could fast forward just a little bit, I think the first time I actually got to do a walk with you, it was SeaWorld Orlando. It was the Ace Merry Mako Holiday. I think I've got that right. Ride was not open yet. One of the cool things that I thought you mentioned, um, you know, we're walking around, we're seeing all the stuff, we're getting to touch the track, we're doing all this stuff. And then you told us a really cool story about um, the foundation early on. So can you kind of maybe highlight? Yeah, absolutely. So covering stuff on Midway, um, we're very detailed in our work. Uh, you may see a lot of other sites where they briefly touch on something, but here I am showing three, four different drops of foundations or bolts and stuff like that. And a lot of it is for the nerds out there. I'm a coaster nerd. I like seeing that kind of stuff. But what we have found where our videos and photos are useful is actually for the industry professionals, uh, say manufacturers or people that are part of the creative teams or design and engineering. I've had people tell me literally, we don't have to go out into the park because we know that Midway is going to have an update and that's how they get their daily briefings and they'll send the photos and emails and their corporate emails and stuff like that. But in reference to icebreaker, it was about the time when they were working on the break run and I'm taking a look at this and something just didn't look a hundred percent right in my opinion. And I even voiced it in the video and left them 24 hours later, instructional cruiser out there with Jack hammers taking down the, the break run. So obviously somebody saw something They went out there and checked it and, and sure enough, it wasn't good. So they had to redo some of the foundation. And I had later on, uh, premiere basically say, thank you you know, for my work and my time, because they were able to save a lot of time, money, headaches. And uh, I know SeaWorld is really happy with some of that. And that's why we get a chance to do some of these media events and these construction tours, because the level of dedication, the attention to detail that actually helps these projects move along, which is really kind of neat. So do you mind talking a little bit? Of, I know I've seen you with big cameras, small cameras, uh, drone footage, like what's your arsenal like when it, you're doing this? I mean, I like to keep it light if I can. I mean, let me put it this way. I've always said, you know, people ask me, what kind of camera gear do you use? And I say the best camera is the one that's in your hand. Doesn't matter if it's a cell phone, doesn't matter if it's a Polaroid, I don't care. Have a camera in your hand. Usually I walk around with my cell phone. I'll usually have my Sony a7R4 and then I'll have my Canon 5D Mark IV with an arsenal of lenses in a bag just in case, but physically walking into the park, I try to keep it light. If I see some crazy stuff is going on, then I might go grab some more gear or something like that, or have a little bit of a strategic plan as to when I want to do things. Like if I know they're doing testing, say for like pipeline, uh, we just flew our drone last night uh, and got video of it running. So there was a reason for it, but we had to camp out for that. But that was sitting in the car waiting just in case. and. The opportunity arose and we had a chance to actually use it. And what are the rules around drone footage? Do you have a, well, a agreement with a park or is this private no, property? I mean, no, no, I mean, long story short on this one, if anybody has ever taken an FAA 107 course, which is your ability to commercially film uh, a drone footage and whatnot or photos, however it may be, the FAA basically owns the airspace. 
parks do not. So you could be 10 feet off the ground over a park. They technically don't own the airspace. However, if you're interfering with their operations, flying over people, flying over moving vehicles, there's a whole long list that you have to adhere to. Uh, but as long as you're flying within FAA rules and regulations, not really much the park can do or say. Um, whenever I do fly, I will make note I am not on their property. <laughs> so if security ever comes up to me, uh, it's one of those, hey, I'm not on your property. There's nothing you can do. I'm sorry. But the but good thing is I have a, a great license for that. Yeah, you would need a commercial license, FA 107 for that. And you have to take all sorts of courses and an official test. It, it's a process, but it's very rewarding. But I, I do have a nice relationship with the parks because they understand it's one of those, there's not much they can really do to enforce or regulate. Obviously, I'm not being reckless. I'm not doing anything that would put people or property into harm's way. Um, so the park is giving me the green light essentially to do my thing. You know, as long as I'm doing FAA laws and regulations as the way it should, they don't really have an issue. No other parks, <laughs> good luck. They may try to harass you or have issues. I've, I've had that happen in the past. But in summary, you have formed over time good relationships with the parks. I like uh, something you said just a little while ago. You talked about camping out. If you don't mind, let's do like a little bit of a deeper dive into Velocicoaster because I know that was a hot one that you covered very extensively. And how many times do you think you went to Universal to get footage for Velocicoaster, just guessing. Well, I mean, I had a count on my paths uh, and I can also check by my update phone, you know, the external hard drive and whatnot, but uh, I believe it was 121 visits that I had to Universal in that time, uh, or at least something related to Velocicoaster. Like when the pandemic was happening and all that, I was going to the grocery store to buy some food and I was going to the grocery store that was near the storage lot for Velocicoaster just to have the chance that it might, you know, a truck might drive out with a piece of track and I'd have a chance to get a photo. <laughs> kind of stupid length, but that's what it was. Let's just take one trip for an example. Um, how long you said camp out? So just paint a picture for these ACE members that have always wanted to go catch a testing of one of these coasters like Velocicoaster, how long sometimes do you have to camp out to get just a few shots? Well, I mean, it depends on each project. I mean, I've been lucky in the past where I've had some very, very, very good informants uh, that basically will say, hey, it's happening at 9 a.m. at this time on this date and you need to be standing in this location, <laughs> which is very easy for me. But on other projects where it's so secretive, like Velocicoaster, um, it was one of those, I, I've been doing this long enough for over 20 years where I can see where the coaster is going in stages, foundation, track is actually going up to when they're starting to do electrical and all that. So I, I get a general sense of when they should be roughly right. testing. And then I start doing checks of the tracks, making and seeing if there's any wear marks on the track or something. So if it has done a run, you know, maybe I can pinpoint whether it's at night or whether it's a day. Velocicoaster though, I would get there right at pretty much park opening because they would do a lot of work at night and you'd walk into the park next day and a new element is up or they added another 60, 70 feet of track. So it was really important to get there early to get some of those first initial shots. But on days when we were testing, you're just sitting around and waiting. I mean, we're talking seven, eight hours almost plus per day. I mean, I'd get there at opening and the ride wouldn't even run until almost five or six. What do you think you ended up with? Uh from a content perspective. I mean, some of our videos go upwards of like 20, 30 minutes for like our full tour and reviews, but a general construction update is anywhere from about, mm, I'd say seven minutes to around 20 minutes. Uh, that's just generally. And when we do cover stuff, it's like I said, very detailed. So that's why some of the videos are longer. Um, I, I don't make it about myself. That's never what Midway has ever been about. It's about the coasters, it's about the parks. That's why when you see my face, it's not too often. I'll, I'll show it every now and then, but I'm not like some bloggers that just have the camera in my face the whole time. I, I try to shine a spotlight on the parks and the rides, and that's what it's really about. You also have a few animals or people that you pick up on and then do hilarious updates on. Yeah, I, I don't know how construction updates and construction ducks worked out or pink chickens or tuxedo birds or nope ropes and all that stuff. I, I don't know how or why that came about. <laughs> I really don't, uh, but I'm very thankful for it. I've had it where literally just 
people will send me photos. Uh, they're at a grocery store and they see a pink chicken or they see a duck or something. They'll send me a photo of it and be like, construction duck or pink chickens. And I, I love it. That brightens up my day. Uh, just to know that somebody's thinking about me, you know, and that it's made a lasting impact. It's kind of funny that I, I have a lot of enthusiast friends that they can't go to a theme park now and see a flamingo without calling it a pink chicken. And that's beautiful. I would be one of those people who always jokingly say, pink chicken. Probably that was entirely sorry. That's That's okay. So do you mind maybe trying to think a little bit more? What keeps you going back to the park day after day to get these construction updates? And when you strike out and you waste all this time, like what keeps you going back the next day? I don't know. To be honest, sheer desire to see a completed project. Each project that happens, I look at it like a book or a chapter in a book in a sense. So it's like every project that gets you know, get done from where we start of first rumors to stakes on the ground, to, you know, track showing up to all of that, the whole process, finally getting butts in the seats and people writing it and enjoying it and talking on these podcasts kind of thing about the rides. Um, it's just, it's a long process. And I find it rewarding when Finally, something happens, like a test run. You're talking years of planning for these attractions, months of actually getting everything set up, and it all comes down to that one moment. And if I'm able to be there for that moment, that's special. You can only see a first test run once. That's it. And uh, I, I like making that memory. So even if I strike out, I still find the will and desire to want to go see it. I Guys, I'm a coaster nerd. That's why I'm an ace. I like seeing that stuff. So when I hear the roar for the first time, or I see how fast the coast is going, or slow, or something, you know, crazy with it, um, it's very appealing for me to just be able to see it with my own eyes, and then to be able to share that with all the other viewers. That it, let's put it this way: Midway is a very small market when it comes to YouTube and all that stuff. Uh, not many people are searching a theme park construction videos. You know what I mean? Small market. And if we have an ability to actually drive a lot of people to our page because of that, it just makes me happy seeing other people share it, enjoy it. And like I said, Parks being able to use it for corporate emails and uh, all the likes. And we've even had times where they've used some of our photos for promotional, for marketing side. And that's that's very rewarding. Yeah, it sounds it for sure. Um, Do you have maybe a construction that you followed that, just had, I don't know, maybe your your first one start to finish that you always think about or call back. I don't want to say your favorite because I'm sure you can't pick a favorite. But I mean, I've, I've got several that have stuck out in my head over the last couple of years. Um, I, one of the ones that really kind of kicked it off for me was X at Magic Mountain. That was kind of the first coaster that I really watched in detail. Um, I was going to the park maybe once every two to three weeks. Uh, you know, just as a kid going with my mom, enjoying the park. Um, I, where I really started developing kind of the love for coaches, like I said, is after dad passing. And that was right after pretty much like Goliath had opened at Magic Mountain. So, uh, X and Deja Vu were after that. So I started really getting involved into the construction thing, how everything was going and had a chance to meet some nice ace members at, uh, Deja Vu's media day. And they're informing me, Hey, if you want to do more of these style of events and stuff like that, you can do this via ace. But I'd say one that really kind of stuck on my mind is, uh, probably Velocicoaster because that was a crazy period of time. Like I said, where everything was shut down. And I remember the park just full steam ahead and we were flying our drone and you could see them assembling that kind of helix area. And then the role, once the park reopened, it's just, it was very fascinating to see how they were working despite all the other stuff that was going on. Um, I've had a chance to obviously build some attractions, world fallest uh, in the past, and those will always be special to me. Um, so I can also say that as well, but uh, each project is, I, I don't really pick a favorite, like you said, it's tough. <laughs> They're all cool. Each one yeah, of them. I know it's a hard question, but I just, you were talking about X and for those people who haven't ever seen X or X2, can you tell us a little bit about why that coaster is so, was so drastically different at the time? Uh, it was craziest thing anybody had ever seen. And it's still a Tuesday, in my opinion, still one of the craziest things that anybody has ever seen or written. Um, I remember seeing the animations for it. 
and just watching it for hours. I'm not joking, just rerunning the video, rerunning it, watching how the feet turn and all that. And then finally seeing the, the track pieces arrive and it just, it was a revolutionary thing, the four different rails, the X, Y, and Z, uh, multi-axis and all that. It was revolutionary. And Alan Schilke was just, you know, a crazy guy that was really up and coming at that time. And he took a, a gamble on this and Six Flags went with it. And uh, we have an amazing product still from it. And I, it, for a long time, X was my number one coaster. And then I went to Japan and rode uh, Ichinaika, so, I mean, which is another 40 coaster. <laughs> So no surprise that got replaced, but, uh, X was just off the walls bonkers. And I've ridden with blue angels pilots. Okay. These guys fly crazy fast, these stupid G's. And here they are holding on for dear life on a roller coaster. And it's kind of weird. I'm ragdolling. I'm flying through the air, have no issues. And these guys are screaming their heads off. And I asked them at one time, why, why are you guys so concerned? And they said, because I have control in my craft when I ride X. I don't have control. It has control of me. Well, I still think X is probably my number one because it's so unique and so different than everything else. And remember, at the time, there was nothing like it. Well, we can't finish this interview without talking about Pipeline because that's probably your, is that your current project? I mean, there's multiple projects going on in a sense. Uh, obviously, working with Skyline Attractions, there's some things that uh, I never thought I'd be saying this on a podcast, but I can't talk to you about it. Which is I would love to do, but uh, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in regards to that. Uh, but as far as non-work related for Skyline, I would say Pipeline. I like the big attractions, ones that you see. Stuff that gets built inside buildings, it's not exactly exciting for our viewers. Well, is there anything you want to leave us with? I, I just want to say thanks to everybody that has ever supported us. Uh, to be honest, like I said, this has been many years in the making, just 20 plus years of watching coasters, going to theme parks, talking to industry people, going to IAPA. I love this industry. I literally have a DNA double helix and roller coaster track tattooed down my spine. I am not going anywhere in the industry anytime soon. And I can't wait to provide some really cool stuff in the future that, you know, fellow ACE members are going to be able to have a chance to ride uh, and hopefully enjoy. And I just, all I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you. I know I say it a lot in our videos, but. I genuinely mean it, man. I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of time and effort. I feel like we put in a lot more time and effort than most. And it's definitely rewarding when I see people take that. So thank you to everybody. Well, while you're doing thank yous, I would say I've seen you guys at IAPA and you need to thank your wife, Lauren, because she is just as involved doing all the camera work, taking all the videos. Uh, and she's the quiet one behind the scenes that helps make it all run. She is. Uh, she does a lot of the back end stuff when it comes to trademarks, legal, uh, just overall setup and that kind of stuff, finances. <laughs> I, I don't want to be in charge of the credit card, to be honest. Otherwise, I'd be buying red cameras and crazy, you know, 8K rigs and stuff like that. But Lauren has really stepped up and been able to do a lot of stuff, uh, considering I have a new job. Um, several years ago, I made it a point almost kind of train her to where she could do an update and if she filmed it nobody could ever tell the difference whether i filmed it or if she filmed it and she's gotten to that point it's, it's freaking great i love it well that is impressive that's that's saying a lot all right i'm going to take us out to our next interview in a different way how about this i hope to see you on the midway I am here on the actual construction site of the new coaster coming to SeaWorld San Diego. It's called Arctic Rescue. I'm here with Jim Potter, who is the Vice President of Maintenance and Rides for SeaWorld San Diego. Yes. Thank you so much for being I'm here. I'm glad to be me. here. And thanks for the invite to be able to uh, see this construction. This is really fascinating. We're all wearing hard hats. I know you can't all see me. We're wearing hard hats and, uh, and bright colored vests. So tell me, why Arctic Rescue? Why this park? You know, something we always look at is how we can give the guests the best experience and we're constantly looking at what we need to do and what the balance of the next attraction is going to be. And so this one, you know, we wanted to have a much more family-friendly um, coaster and so it still has the high thrill because you're on a straddle coaster. We have three launches. It's going to get us up to 40 miles an hour. And when you think about that in a car, you're like, that's not very fast. 
but when you're sitting on a snowmobile holding onto the handlebars and going at 40 miles an hour with the wind in your face you realize it's really fast and it doesn't sound like it but I guarantee you it is going to be very thrilling but at the same time it doesn't go upside down it has a lot of twists and turns it doesn't go very high there's not a huge drop so the the smaller guests and the the height requirement is only 48 inches yeah. so we get a lot more of the the younger members of the family are going to be able to get an opportunity to ride i think that makes so much sense for this park you've got the really high thrills and then you have this which again you're saying 48 inches high can get on this ride but it still looks really thrilling even without the big drops just because of the speed of it and because of the cars now let's talk about the cars a little bit more because i'm hearing there's not really there's no over the shoulder restraints it's more of around the legs yeah so the this is and what makes the straddle coaster unique is you're actually sitting on a snowmobile and you would do it just like any other snowmobile or a bicycle you're sitting on a seat and you're holding on to handlebars and the restraint system is going to be holding your waist and your legs down so while there are there is support for your back and your torso but it's also there's a little bit of movement so you feel and when you go into a turn you you're banking and you feel like you're on a snowmobile and so that part of it um, having ridden other straddle coasters, it, it's really a different experience and I'm, I'm really looking forward to everybody getting to come out and try it because it's such a unique experience. The first time I did it, I was really blown away by it and went, I can't wait to ride it here at our park. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, so you went down to Texas? So there, yeah, we have, this is the sister ride for the Wavebreaker in Texas. We're also in um, Dark Coaster at Busch Gardens yeah, Williamsburg is, so is is going to be completed soon. We've been we've been pacing them with the construction, so it's there. It's a I, I keep saying it, but it, it's because it's it's really a different experience, and and people are going to really they're going to really recognize it. You know, a tr with traditional coasters, you're sitting in a seat and you're you're held in really well, um, and you're part of the ride and this one you're on top of the ride and it's it just that's the the best way you're still secure and everything you know but, of course, but, yes. but you're on top of it instead of being kind of like I think of a normal coaster seat you're like in the ride and this one so you're we're, kind of on it we're over on it so I think it'll be you know a lot more it's just going to be a different experience a, a yeah. very unique experience and a first time for this park so we're really excited about that i was just talking to eric over in the zoo department and he was telling me that a lot of the theme of this coaster is going to be about climate change and i just love that the, the educational element of this can you talk about that a little bit with the theming um so yeah the theming is really going to be like we're out at a arctic research station and we're trying to continue the theme of wild arctic and where wild arctic when you you go out on this amazing experience you go out into the arctic and we're riding around we're going to have a lot of themed elements to make it feel like we're out there then we come back in and then get to continue on through the research station and going and visiting with the belugas the ring seals and the walruses so um and then there eric probably mentioned and and there's about Middick, who was one of the uh, walruses that was actually rescued when he was, I think, nine months old. And he actually lives at our park now because he wasn't able to be released and they needed to find a, the home Aww. for him. So, you know, we have real life rescue stories that happen. Real life Arctic rescue. And they're, and inside the exhibit, you can go in and see Middick. Yeah, it's a real life Arctic rescue. I love that. I love the education of that and that it's for everybody. And I cannot wait to ride. And we don't have an opening date yet. We don't have an opening date yet. You guys need for this rain to stop. It's just started raining on us here now. <laughs> so I'm gonna end the interview and say thanks and hope that you guys get some sunny days to be able to finish this coaster so we can ride it soon. Thank you very much. We're excited to have everybody come out and get to try it. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. And we're gonna continue our construction podcast with a sneak peek into CoasterCon with an update from Dollywood. So let's welcome none other than Ace Secretary, Jeff Nemec. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, John. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want a little more background. So uh, what do you, uh, Jeff, consider your home park? So I, just to preface this, sorry to, I, I coach speech and debate, so sorry to preface this, but I'm originally from Northeast Pennsylvania. 
So have a lot of allegiance to those parks. And then I was in Southern California the past five years. But for the last year, I've been riding in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I'm about 10 minutes away, 10, 15 minutes away from Lake Winnie and about two and a half hours from Dollywood. I would say probably Dollywood is the park I'm to the most. So I would say Dollywood is my home park. You can always tell you're a passionate coaster enthusiast when you have to preface it. Both regions, Eastern Pennsylvania and Southern California, have some amazing parks as well that I was happy to partake in while I lived there. So I have to to get some shout outs to those regions as well. Right. I mean, you could have what you consider your growing up home park because it's the park that you went to all while you were your youth, right? I grew up 40 minutes from Knobles. Growing up, about 45 minutes from Knobles, that was a fantastic park to grow up near. That was actually my elementary school. Our school picnics every May was at Knobles. So that was really, really fun. That's hilarious. It is a perfect park for picnics, too, because you got that huge grassy area, all the picnic tables. That's a that's a very unusual park. It would be great to have in our backyard. So uh, what got you into coasters? And then actually, I mean, you're in the you're in the one of the top roles, secretary for ACE. Fill us in. My love of roller coasters started previously mentioned Park Knobles. And I went there growing up in eastern Pennsylvania. You are fortunate to not even understand how lucky you are to grow up around so many parks than two hours of where you live. But the one that we went to a lot was Knobles. And I stepped off my first roller coaster, which was the Phoenix, six years old. And I said, I want to build these. And that actually is what led me to pursue a career in engineering. So actually currently have a degree in engineering. And that's what I, I work as currently, along with some other stuff. But I started loving them about six years old and just was able to consume all the other coasters that reside in Pennsylvania and the surrounding states. And when I was about 18 years old, my sister, Jess, was looking for some news, like roller coaster news, and she stumbled upon Ace News. And we joined the club kind of on a whim, the two of us. And our first event actually was ever was at Schlitterbahn in New Brunfels, and it had no coasters at it. So that, so we got involved in ACE by doing some research and looking for some news and joined the club about a year or two later, did our first event. And we've been in for the past 18 years or so. So that's how we found ACE originally. And then you also asked about the executive committee. So we have, I am the current secretary. My term started this just this past September, September at 2022 for a two-year term. And then even prior to that, was vice president for the four years before that. So it was, it's been great to kind of have that understanding and that working knowledge of how the executive committee works as I'm entering the secretary role. But yeah, so that's, I am yeah, current secretary. A little, just a little bit more, what's the secretary do just for somebody who's not that familiar with ACE? So the secretary is one of the four elect positions on the executive committee. There are 12 different people on the that make up the executive committee, four of those people are elected. And so I am one of the four people that are elected. The secretary specifically is in charge of the record keeping for the club and especially the meetings. So during the the two-day meetings we have with the executive committee, three times a year, I am furiously taking notes the entire time and produce the minutes for the club after those meetings. I also the person arranges and compiles the annual business meeting booklet. And I am also in charge of sending out thank you notes to people that donate to ACE. They donate either physical funds like money or they donate some sort of property or memorabilia. They get a note from me. So if you so if you, if you have gotten a donation in the past couple months in September, you have a note with my handwriting. That's awesome. There's a lot more to the ACE executive committee than people and I think people realize, actually. So I like to always ask people for what they do, just so we can all get a little better appreciation. But it's not just the secretary, because I did a find on your name. And you're also the youth advisor. And are you on the committee for treasury and finance? Is that right? Yes. So I, I originally got involved in kind of the executive committee role within ACE when I ran for treasurer uh, at this point. 
oh boy, at eight, eight or 10 years ago. And I did not get elected at that point. But the soon after that, I was put on the finance committee by the treasurer. And so I've been involved with the finance committee for the past couple of years. So when there is kind of a question about how ACE's money should maybe be used or are what kind of accounts it should be used or put into so it increases its monetary value, just some questions about direction with the finances. That's what that committee does. And then, yes, I am also the the EC person in charge of the Youth Advisory Committee. It's a committee that I started my first year as vice president, kind of seeing that there was a lack of youth representation and even a lack of youth membership within the club. So when I joined the executive committee as president, I was 31 and I, I, I was the youngest person to believe by about 10 or 10 years or so, I want to say. So it was, it's, and that's, but it, that board even actually younger, even than the one before. So kind of understanding that we want to foster the club for a long time and have lifelong members with, there's so much passion within the younger people, within the younger enthusiast community. And to be able to tap into that and have them be represented in ACE is something that we kind of focus on within the youth advisor. So that's been around for the past four years now. And what we do on that committee is we try to bring in younger voices and try to understand what they would like to see at events, what they would like to see the club do, kind of the direction and just the interests of that demographic that is right now very underrepresented within ACE. Yeah, that's that's good. I, I love to see that because my daughter's 10 and my son's eight and we bring him to ACE events. And I just like that we're thinking about that from a glide path of how we get them involved and how we keep them engaged. And uh, so um, that's exciting. And actually leaning into our topic, that's one thing that's kind of exciting about what you're talking about, because you got a chance to go see Dollywood Big Bear Mountain construction update. So did you put on a big, uh, you know, construction hat and get out there and actually get to see the coaster uh, construction? I did. I did. So I took a lot of photos and video that day. The one selfie myself was myself in the heart. I had to, had to, had to put the post in the back. <laughs> you got to, coming. you got to, you got to. It's probably from an engineering background where we used to do a lot of surveys of construction sites. I missed being in the card hat. So it was, it was a nice thing for the coasters, but also just kind of something I missed doing. I don't get to do it a whole often. But yeah, so I got to experience Big Bear Mountain. Like I mentioned, my home park is Dollywood. I'm about two and a half hours away. So it was kind of geographically, I was able to do it on the day that it was allotted. So I was fortunate enough. We actually started the day off with a tour of the new Heart Song Hotel that's being built at Dollywood as well. So we got to see that and then the construction of Big Bear Mountain, which is fantastic. It takes up just so much land in that new Wildwood Grove area. And it's just such a centerpiece. And there's just so many interesting facets to it that I'm, I'm really excited to get to write it when it opens. No, <laughs> no. I think, I think most of us Coaster enthusiasts are excited, but let's back up just a little bit. That, um, not that we normally on a Coaster Enthusiast uh, site talk about that hotel, but that is not just a hotel. It is like nestled right in the Smoky Mountains. I mean, it looks almost like it's like on a hill or I don't want to say a cliff, but tell us just a little bit about that so you can paint the picture of what you went through um, on your construction day. Sure. They had been building this hotel when I saw it in late March. They had been building this now, I believe, for well over a year. And it is just a mass undertaking. The front part of the hotel which wasn't fully installed yet, is going to be a lot of glass. And you're able to just look out. As you mentioned, it, it is on somewhat of a hill. And you're able to look out to just see nothing but trees. And so, and then the lobby has this mass, mass stone fireplace that is three stories tall. That is the focal point of the lobby. And it is just very rustic feeling hotel is what they're going for. So if you've been to the Dream Moor, the Dream Moor is kind of the 
luxury Southern kind of feeling hotel. The feeling of this hotel is very down home rustic. A bunch of fire pits outside. Just a lot of the a lot of landscaping is being put in of trees and just making it very lush. The the tones are more wo- dark woods kind of. It's just it was fantastic. And it just it's a massive massive property. Yeah, per- personally, I I know so much of Ace is family oriented in my age bracket anyway. So I love to see things like this because my wife is not as excited about coasters as maybe me and the kids are. So that gives the this kind of full package at a location that makes it more of a destination. I just love anything like that that just kind of gives everybody uh, a, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, the full experience. Let's go with yeah. that. And John, you'll be happy to know in that regard, I was able to tour the guest rooms as well. And while the furniture wasn't there, they were talking to us about, they have some family suites where there is a, a king or a queen bed, I can't recall. And then there is an alcove that it's going to have bunk beds. So for families that have kids, there's going to be some specific accommodations meant for families with multiple children. So it, it's they really have just thought about and incorporated the different needs of the various guests coming to the property. So it's just, it, that's, it, it, that was really clear in the tour that we saw is that they're thinking about this from like the different demographics coming to the park. I love it. I'm super excited. So let's get into the coaster because that's probably what people really care about. They unveiled the car at last year's IAPA. And when you got there, you must have also been able to see the sheer volume of track. You kind of alluded to it, but tell us more. Is it also nestled in the middle of the woods? It is. It, it just races all over that land. There. The, the Wildwood Grove area, it goes from the, you load the train the back of Wallet Grove. So something that I kind of wasn't aware of before doing the construction for is that where the station is for Big Bear Mountain, it is part of a, a whole brand new plaza that they are building the back of Wildwood Grove. So the train goes right around this curve before it goes up the mountain. The plaza is going to be to be right there. So no one has physically walked yet into the plaza area where this is going to be because it's all still boarded off. But it is just a massive area where, the, where it dives underneath a bridge section. The, the, the queue line was coming together where you are going to kind of wind in and out of these exploration expedition tents. And you're going to get to see some of the artifacts that the, the mountain man who was looking for the bear has found. And it's just the, the storyline is really important. You're a person that appreciates the extra step of putting some thematic storytelling on top of your coaster rides. You're going to be happy here. Because what I also learned when I was there is that starting last year, they started putting up these wanted posters that was, I, I, I don't want to get his name wrong. I want to, it's Ned Oak, I believe. Yes, and he, it, is, he, it is definitely Ned. It is. So he is the mountain man who was searching for this bear. And on these wanted posters, they had a telephone number. And if you call a telephone number, you actually got some tips about where the bear was spotted, some information about like what's coming. So they've been weaving this story and starting to tell it for a year now. And it's going to come to fruition as we get to follow Ned on his journey to find this bear. So I'm not sure if I answered your question yes. at all, John. That was oh no, no, that's 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 great. <laughs> and not only you mentioned Ned, but also they're going to take that experience through the coaster with onboard audio and mm-hmm. definitely just kind of continuing that story. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. But what you did fail to mention, which is probably interesting for a construction update, is it's going to be the longest coaster at Dollywood. Yes. So that how it, did you tour or or did you only tour part of it or how did, how did that okay how did that go down? So I I mentioned the plat that's the only section that. So the when you are standing in this what will be this plaza area this coaster is winding all around you and kind of up in the air but then the bulk of it goes off around actual land and kind of borders the land. So yeah, we were only actually able to tour exactly kind of where the station is, where the plaza is going to be. And we're able to do a full 360 walk around that section, kind of right in front of the train tracks. But where it actually goes off into more the out section, we weren't able to do any part of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'd had to put on some hiking boots, I think. 
I back because it's what four thousand. Yes. Just under four thousand feet. Of just track, under right? four thousand. Yes. And there, I was prepared. I came with my hiking boots, but there were a good amount of TV station personnel that were not prepared in our loafers. Let's put it that way. So yeah, we did not. We did not get him to walk. Which is what I was hoping for. They also mentioned something that was interesting to me was that they are behind schedule because up to this, I was there, I think, March 27th. Up until that point, they had 45 weather impacted days construction where they were not able to go at full speed due to rain or whatever the case may be. So the that's why they weren't really sure with this one in terms of, of a hard opening date, but there was just so much weather impact. And I was living in Tennessee and being here now, there was a lot of rain over the uh, past couple months. So, wow. Yeah. Can you try try to imagine a project and you got stalled that many days? Like, uh, how do you, how do you catch up? You can catch up one day, two days here and there, but man, that's a lot of days to catch up from. Yep. It's a massive, massive undertaking. All right. So you're an engineer. You've had the engineer mind since you said what? So you were six six years old and wanting to make coasters. So so going back, tell us a couple of nuggets. You're out there, you're getting close to the footings and you're seeing the track. Is there anything that just kind of you just always wanted to see or called to you or you envisioned? Tell us a little nerdy details. So I was, I, I mentioned before that if you're a person that likes kind of the storytelling aspect and that's because I am a person. So I was really excited to see the, the theming touches that were added to this because that, those touches that make this coaster completely unique and unlike anything else out there, I think is what pushes the coaster over the top to be just above and above, above and beyond anything. So I was really interested to see the expedition tents that are part of the queue line that are coming up. Some of the the rock work I also was really interesting and just how they how they do the rock work. So how it works with, with that specifically is that the track was already in place and they do the concrete work to make the rocks while the track is already in place. So to not get concrete splatter on the actual tracks themselves, they were covering it with these huge pieces of like really thick plastic that were just sprayed down with concrete, basically. So it was really interesting to get that kind of perspective because just knowing the actual order of how things are done to make it work from a construction standpoint is interesting to me. So I would have thought that maybe they would have done the rock work first, but kind of seeing how they accommodated for it, it made sense. Also, just like kind of imagining where the additional theming aspects were going to come in of where there were going to be like benches and and additional kind of theming aspects. I, I was looking forward to that as well. And then I also like when parks and, and coasters specifically make a, a really cool plaza and they make area like a destination for people to hang out, with, hang out in because there are certainly members of that family that are not going to ride. So having a nice entranceway and having a nice kind of plaza is also something that I think really adds to the the experience and the enjoyment for that entire family of that coaster, where they get to see that family member whip around the plaza multiple times as the track goes all around that section. Those are some great nuggets. I love that you were fascinated with the sequence of events that happened because that's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of nuggets that us, all of us coaster enthusiasts like to hear. So. But before I let you go, Jeff, I, I do want to kind of call out, um, did you did you get the feeling of the family, family friendly type of feel? Because they're saying this ride is one that most people will be able to ride. I mean, they're 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 uh, projecting it as a family friendly ride. Is that correct? They are. Yes. So that was something that they were hitting on a, a good amount during the interviews that the Dollywood staff were giving to the news stations was that they're hoping that this is going to be a lot of coaster enthusiasts first roller coaster their first well at first major coaster they might do something that's like smaller in stature that's a little bit less nerve-wracking but in terms of like their first kind of big kid coaster or their first transition coaster they really want this to be the one that's kind of a generational thing that families get to share as their kids first major coaster so and this might sound a little bit weird, but even the color orange that they chose for the tracks just 
gives off the like fun vibe enough in a way that I just think it's really inviting. I think is something that's going to draw a lot of kids to be interested in and to look at. And I think to really consider as their first legitimate coaster. No, that's, that's a, it's, I, I think I, I don't know if I'd say I appreciate that, but I, I definitely like that they gave that to consideration and they thought about that when they designed the ride. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely excited and I cannot wait to take my kids there. Are you going to make it to uh, CoasterCon? I am excited to say that I will be at CoasterCon. And for the people on the executive committee, that always starts with the, the first thing is the all day meeting that happens on Sunday in the hotel room at one of our executive committee meetings. And then it's going to be just a week of, of having fun. Dollywood and Carowinds. Yes, yes, I will absolutely be there. Yes. Well, two of my favorite parks to hit on a road trip. So unfortunately, I'm going to break it to everybody and say, I am going to be out of the country, so I will not be able to make it, but I am going to live through Ace's social media pages. And I'm John, we're sorry that you're not going to be there, but exactly what you just said, we're going to do the best that this person can do to make it for the people that aren't there to feel like they're there. So that's, that's the goal. And I'm also happy that, I will say that this is actually my first ever CoasterCon was Dollywood and Carowinds in, I think, 2012. I think it was 11 years ago. So this is actually a, a repeat of my first ever coach. So I'm looking forward to nice. it. Nice. Like it's like a callback for you. It is. It is. I love it. I love it. Well, before we go, um, any, um, any tips for uh, all the ACE members out there or anything that I, I missed that you want to call out? Well, I will say that we are always looking for younger members to, to get involved and to share their experiences and to share what they would like the club to be. We're looking for new members of the Youth Advisory Committee. So that's something that you'd be interested in pursuing and helping the club. I would love to hear from you. My email is jneemit at aceonline.org. And I would love to have that conversation with you and see where you can be of service. Because we're always looking for people's input. This is, I can't stress how much of the behind the scenes is a team effort of everyone coming together with their perspectives and doing what they're able to do and doing what they can do the best. So we want as many people involved in the club that are want to and are willing to serve it. So please reach out if you'd like to be involved in the Youth Advisory Committee. Well, that is fantastic advice. Everyone should uh, look to see you at uh at Yes, Coast please Trump. come say hi. Thank you, Dan, Jim, and Jeff, for those riveting construction chats. They were groundbreaking, and we definitely don't take you for granted. Construction puns, anyone? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> if you have any podcast questions, suggestions for future episodes, anything, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to podcast at aceonline.org. For more updates on these coasters and more, make sure you're following Ace. On Facebook, just search American Coaster Enthusiasts. On Twitter, AceOnlineOrg, all one word. Instagram, at RideWithAce. If you're into TikTok, it's Ride underscore with underscore Ace. And like always, stay tuned to next week and keep riding coasters. Ride With Us is produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a registered 501c3 organization. Visit ridewithace.com for additional information and we will see you at the parks.